If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. On Sunday, a White House official confirmed that President Biden will host the family of George Floyd at the White House on Tuesday. That visit comes as the deadline President Biden set for passing a bipartisan police reform bill hits. That deadline will likely come and go, though, without the passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. The bill passed the Democratic-led House in the March installed in the Senate. While legislation proposed by South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott couldn't overcome a Senate filibuster. Plus, now we have more news about COVID-19 and its origins for this and more. We'll bring in our all-star panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, political correspondent for NPR, Mara Liason, and chief political correspondent for The Washington Examiner, Byron York. Mar, let me start with you about, uh, you know, this George Floyd family visit and, and where we are on the prospects of police reform, even though it's not going to hit the deadline. Yeah, you know, I think this is the first hard deadline that Joe Biden has set and missed. Biden is usually pretty cautious about under promising and over delivering. But in this case, he set a hard deadline and he's not going to make it. And criminal justice reform and police reform was something that both sides said they wanted to do. Um, and the Republicans had a negotiator and so did the Democrats, but uh, it looks like they're hung up on a whole bunch of issues. And I'm wondering if Republicans are losing their enthusiasm for this as we get farther away from the George Floyd uh, death and we see the spiking of crime in cities all across the country. Well, that plus we are getting closer and closer, Tom, to midterm elections. We are, although, you know, I think both parties, you know, want to have something to take to voters, right? Um, Beyond just the sort of COVID, you know, relief packages. But there are a bunch of sticking points, qualified immunity, et cetera, et cetera. And and there has been, I think, uh, Mara makes a great point. There was a big piece in the New York Times, which we ran on Real Clear Politics this morning, talking about how, you know, a lot of these communities that uh, were were really uh, you know aggressive and pushing for defunding the police or shifting resources from cops to you know social workers and the like 
have all now sort of reassessed their priorities and, and you've got police departments around the country adding police because uh, crime is in a lot of major urban centers, including my home in Chicago. I mean, we had a, we had 55 people shot this past weekend, 11 of them fatally. Uh, homicides in Chicago now are uh, way above where they were last year. And it looks like there's there's you know no end in sight. In fact, we're just heading into what what is typically sort of the high point uh, of the season. So so for that reason, I, I, I don't know that anything's going to get done on criminal uh, on police reform here in the, in the short term. Byron, uh, Jen Psaki at the White House was asked about this, uh, whether there is a major crime problem throughout the country. And she said there is a major gun problem. Uh, that was her answer today. But uh, to Tom and Mara's point is that uh, crime statistics are going up in big cities. And uh, there is a sense that the role of police, while lambasted by some communities in the wake of the George Floyd uh, case, is really those communities are now hungry for police to be in big numbers on their streets. That's absolutely true. And I, I think I think May 25th, which is the uh, one year anniversary of George Floyd's, George Floyd's death, is, is an occasion to kind of reconsider some of the upheaval that has taken place in the year uh, since he died. Uh, it did turbocharge uh, this whole defund the police movement, which was going on for a number of years before that, but it mainstreamed it and it gave it an, an enormous power. And some some uh, cities like Minneapolis actually acted on it. Um, and it it support for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement just just soared. I'm looking at a at a chart of it right now, and, and it just absolutely zooms in in June of last year. Now it's uh, back down where it was below uh, before the, the Floyd killing. Um, and I, I think it gave uh, all of us uh, or people who were watching a lot of the media a distorted picture of the prevalence of police violence. Um, and so there was just this moment, this terrible moment in which a, a number of communities, blue communities, wanted to uh, either defund or get rid of or reassign their police officers. Um, police, officer, police officers got the message, retirements and the number of places went way up really fast. Um, and now you have this crime wave. So it, what I'm, I'm almost curious about why there hasn't been a stronger law and order voice uh, emerge. Obviously Donald Trump was a law and order voice, but he's in uh, Palm Beach now but why there hasn't been another strong national law and order voice emerge out of all this quite yet. And Mara, politically, don't Democrats uh, risk not only the split in the party, but also the fact that there would be a law and order conservative like Nixon or Reagan, or for that matter, Trump, who would try to take advantage of this heading into 2024? All right, of course. And even earlier in the midterms, look, law and order, crime, when crime goes up, uh, the party that's not on the side of law and order usually suffers at the polls. But the reasons for this uptick in crime are complicated. Maybe in some communities, it's because police officers retired or the community tried to, quote, defund the police. Maybe because it's guns, as the White House says. Maybe it's COVID and all of the dislocations that that caused. Um, there are a lot of causes for this, but the goal that both sides said they wanted was how to keep communities safe without having a lot of unarmed, 
minority people killed by police. I mean, that seems to be something that could be accomplished. And I think that the whole defund the police um, issue, which was something that a small handful of Democrats wanted, I think not they never find it, not Joe Biden. He was absolutely against it. He even said, I want to fund the police more. Uh, I want to help them do their jobs better. Um, but it was something that Republicans pounced on. It was a ready-made, perfect political issue. Look, you know, the Democratic Socialists don't want to protect your communities. They want to get rid of all funding for police. It was completely exaggerated, but I think Democrats walked into a political trap on that one. Uh, but still, the, the basic issue of, of police reform is something that both sides wanted. Don't forget it was Donald Trump who signed the bipartisan uh, uh, criminal criminal. Um, criminal Just justice reform bill. So there should be a way before we get too close to the 2022 elections for both parties to come up with a compromise on this. Meantime, we're kind of moving, um, it seems quickly from COVID. It's, um, you know, you get these stats and the numbers are at the lowest they've been in more than a year. Uh, deaths are down. A um, number of communities are eliminating their mask mandates. Uh, the images over the weekend of Phil Mickelson winning in Kiwa Island, South Carolina, with a big crowds with no masks in sight, Tom, uh, did provide a different uh, view of where we've been. Yeah, no, and and it's great to see. I mean, it's it, we we do seem to have reached a point where you know, not that COVID is completely over, but we do seem to have crossed a tipping point where things are now going back to normal. Obviously, you've got some red states leading the way, Texas, Florida, and the, and the like, um, and some other states that are a little bit behind the curve, including ours in Illinois, in terms of what they're you know opening up the economy and 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 you know lessening the the restrictions. But overall, I mean. You know, we've got vaccinations that are continue to proceed. I mean, we've got more more vaccine doses than people who want them now. I mean, you can literally, uh, you know, call up and and any of your pharmacies and and get your shot within you know days if you want um, your first shot at least. And so it does seem we've we've gotten to uh, a very good place in terms of, uh, and I think the public there's this feeling of momentum and optimism that hey, you know. We're, we're headed for a, a good sort of almost normal summer. I don't think there's any way you've now got the teachers union finally on board. I don't think there's any way that the schools won't be open 100% in person in, in you know, August and September. Um, anybody who I think, unless there's some massive, you know, resurgence of the virus, uh, I think anybody who tries to continue to hold out on that is going to is going to find themselves uh, facing just a, a, a wave of, of, you know, anger and appropriate. So, so I think, yeah, on the COVID front, um, it's, it's, it feels like we've turned a corner and it's a good thing. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. By, on the origins of the virus, new details coming out. Some of them have been reported uh, before, but the Wall Street Journal with this story about the, the uh, researchers in the Wuhan lab in China getting sick enough to go to the hospital. Uh, in November of 2019, we did a number of stories early on in March and April of 2020 about uh, 
different officials in the inside the administration saying there was enough circumstantial evidence to point the finger at that lab uh, while not definitive. Uh, it's becoming less of a out there thought and in fact is the kind of the going bet that that's what happened. Well, it really is. The uh, First of all, the three uh, scientists getting sick, not one, not two, but three sick enough to be hospitalized at the time when coronavirus would have been starting up is just more um, circumstantial evidence to, um, to support the, what's called the lab leak theory, uh, as opposed to the idea that it passed from animal to human at the live market, uh, which doesn't have uh, even as much circumstantial uh, evidence. I mean, what's striking is how uh, this theory, and by, by the way, about the three who got sick, the, the Trump State Department under Secretary of State Pompeo basically said this, that they had intelligence saying that workers uh, at the lab in Wuhan had gotten sick and that this was circumstantial evidence. Uh, and it's true. I mean, we have more um, um, confirmation of that now. What was striking was that just in terms of our, our domestic media world was that people who talked about the lab leak hypothesis last year uh, were censored and chastened uh, for, for doing so. Tom, Tom Cotton, the Republican senator from Arkansas, being a, um, a prime example, New York Times said he was you know, trafficking in these fringe theories about uh, the origin of COVID. Uh, and now I think we've had even Dr. Fauci uh, say that he's not confident right now in any particular explanation of uh, how this started, which is a huge shift for him because he was uh, basically said before that, no, it did not start in the lab. Exactly. So, Mara, the question is what the White House does about that. I mean, right. if if there is evidence and, and who knows, China definitely went bent over backwards to disappear doctors and and kind of uh, throw away evidence from what we hear uh, about the virus. Now you have the WHO. Uh, the White House is saying that it's up to the WHO, World Health Organization, to investigate this further. If they don't, you know, and, and critics say the WHO is controlled by China. If they don't get to the bottom of this, is, are, is there going to be a hunger to do that politically? I think, I think, that we have to find out where it started. If it started in a lab, that's, and we can prove that, that's fine. In other words, that's not the same thing as the Chinese cooked this up as a biological weapon and released it on purpose, which was some True. of the conspiracy theories you had at the time. You know, I don't know why the Chinese wouldn't want the truth to come out also. And as far as Anthony Fauci changing his opinion on this, a good scientist should change their opinion when they get new facts. And uh, I think that one of the uh, surprising, or some people would say not so surprising, areas of continuity between the Trump administration and the Biden administration is how it views our competition with China. And I would expect that the Biden White House would be pretty tough about this, that they'd want the truth to come out, and uh, they'd want to hold the Chinese accountable, at least for uh, being honest about the origins of this pandemic. Right. But it doesn't seem, Tom, like that's going to happen at all. If everything China has done is to try to hide it. And right. perhaps why is because, you know, there could be a lot of international backlash. A lot of people have died. A lot of money has been spent by all kinds of countries. And even if it is a mistake, an accident in a lab, if the onus is on China, 
they're going to do everything they can to, to say it's something else, aren't they? I would think so. I mean, it would be a huge, huge, again, we're, we're, we're in sort of a, a, you know, active cold war with China for hearts and minds around the world. And it would be a huge PR disaster for China to, to admit this, um, to own up to it, even if it was an accident, uh, it would damage their reputation uh, greatly, I think, with a, with a whole host of countries around the world. But I, I want to go back to what Byron said about the media, because I think that's really an important point. And, you know, Mara said that, you know, well, good scientists, when you have new facts and good scientists will change, you know, change their opinions or change their minds. There are two things about that. Number one, there's not a whole lot different that we know now that we didn't know when Anthony Fauci was saying last year that this was uh, absolutely, you know, not a, a leak from the lab and it was natural. Um, he didn't have any facts then to make that decision other than his opinion. And the, the point being, the way that people who voiced an alternate theory at that time were attacked and censored and shamed um, now only to be turned around and say, well, you know, now the media is reporting. Well, uh, I guess this is this is possible. This is plausible. Um, that's all people were suggesting in the beginning. It was not some deranged conspiracy theory. Uh, and, and, and so once again, whether it's, we we've seen, we've seen time and time again, the experts on COVID, whether it's the issue of masking, whether it's the issue of social distancing, whether it's some of these other issues where things that we were told, you know, 12 months ago or nine months ago or six months ago, or even six weeks ago in some cases, right. Turns out not to be true. And, and that I think has done enormous damage to the reputation and the trust of the public in institutions the like the media, of course, but also uh, public health institutions and the government uh, writ large. And I think that's a problem. And I don't, you know, I, th- I think it's been an ongoing problem and this only worsened it. Byron, does the Biden administration risk being too cautious now that we're in kind of an opening mindset um, and the numbers look good, they're still making moves, for example, to make permanent uh, federal workers staying at home. Maybe that's a good thing uh, economically. Who knows? But uh, do they risk not tapping into we're over COVID? Yeah, the 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 success in in this fight has really been dramatic since uh, the first couple of weeks of January when the number of new cases began to plummet. Uh, and it's basically gone down. It went up for a little bit, but it's gone down since then. Um, and I, I, there are big differences, though, in, in, the, in the country. I spent last week in Louisiana and went to a, a roadside restaurant, walk in. It is jammed with people. Uh, big tables, 10 people, lots of drinks, loud talking right next to each other, back slapping. Uh, not a mask in sight. Nobody, not the waiters, nobody. Um, and it was a, it was a, just a completely pre-COVID world. Come back to Washington, D.C., just took a walk this afternoon past children's playgrounds where the children, young children, are playing in masks outside. They're playing tag and, and, and swinging on swings in masks. There's a difference in culture here that we're seeing. And uh, I do think that, uh, that some people are having kind of a hard time accepting the idea that we really are making extraordinary progress 
fueled by this vaccine. I mean, it's fueled by the vaccine. This enormous progress is being made. Um, and it can mean people can get out and lead their old style lives again. With the caveat that you make the decision, you personally make the decision. And uh, as opposed to the government putting you know, stipulations on it, just like uh, when we got to, you make a decision about the flu vaccine and we do that every year, Mara. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Look, the CDC has said, if you're vaccinated, there is no reason for you to wear a mask inside or out. Um, so whenever I see people outside with masks on, I'm wondering, hmm, are they not vaccinated? Yeah, right. Or, you know, I, it's, it's not clear. But yeah, look, the government is not saying to people that you have to be vaccinated. Now, there are some institutions in America, I don't know if they're going to be airlines or school districts who, like they have with past vaccines, say, you don't have to get a vaccine, but we're not going to let you go, go fly on our plane or go to our school if you don't have one. Um, but yes, I think that there's a huge cultural difference. Um, it's not just red America and blue America. There's been studies that show big differences, college education or high school education in terms of how many people are willing to get vaccinated or not. Um, but it's interesting to me how we have to assume that I'll, there are a certain number of people wearing masks in public who are vaccinated. And it's really interesting to me how for, for those people, they just still feel more comfortable. It's their individual choice to keep on wearing a mask, even when the CDC has said it's not necessary. Right. And that's really a, a communication thing as far as getting the message. Yeah, or uh, if we assume some of these people have gotten the message and still made that decision. Well, that's true. Uh, last thing, uh, the prospect of, of bipartisan we, stuff uh, and bills. We, we talked about the police reform uh, possibilities. Tom, uh, it seems like there is not a lot of hunger right now um, to work across the aisle. Maybe I'm missing something, but I... I even on infrastructure, it seems there's not a huge success. So the, the vast differences uh, is kind of like a, a major valley. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, t I'm a cynic on this stuff usually, um, having watched Washington operate and deteriorate over the past, you know, 20-something years. Uh, it really has gotten to a point where, and in, in a Congress that's as evenly divided as this one, in the broader, you know, polarized environment where you have this sort of two extremes that are, uh, you know, have, have social media and loud megaphones that can really put pressure on members, um, the incentives just don't line up to get something done. I mean, even if you wanted to, and let's just, let's just for the sake of argument, say, yes, there's, there are enough members of Congress in theory that, that could agree on uh, just basic infrastructure, uh, you know, a package of some sort, we don't seem to be able to get there because you have, you know, if we lose a couple of, of Democratic progressive senators or we lose a couple of progressive House members who, who some of them now honestly feel like, um, and Republicans feel the same way, that compromise is a dirty word, that it's not something that you should be doing, that that means you're sacrificing your values. Um, and right now, you know, Democrats feel like this is their moment and they can't they can and should go it alone if Republicans aren't willing to get on board uh, and Republicans don't feel like they're aren't willing to get on board because the numbers that Biden is proposing are just so astronomically high. And we're seeing these signs of inflation and other things that that they just don't feel like it's unless it's very, very scaled down 
um, that they're not willing to go there. And so it doesn't seem like anything is going to get done. And again, you know, typically in the past, I mean, politicians want to have legislative accomplishments that they can take to voters, uh, you know, in in November for the midterms. But but with everything nationalized the way it is nowadays, that 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 incentive seems to be lacking. Well, especially when it comes to something like infrastructure. Uh, Byron, last word. Well, you know, we've just come off a year in which there was an urgent need for Congress to do stuff. And that was in COVID relief. And it, it really was, it had a terrible, uh, the, the pandemic had a terrible economic effect on portions of the American economy. And Congress had to step in after first doing it. They didn't do anything for months, even during the worst parts of the pandemic last year. Uh, in my view, it was Nancy Pelosi's fault, but they didn't do anything uh, for quite a while. And then they picked up again. And the question now, is there anything that needs to be done so badly that you can have that kind of momentum that would finally get Congress to do something? And my feeling is now that COVID relief has been taken care of, kind of over taken care of, um, that there really isn't anything that urgent. And and what Democrats, the the one fact that's that's controlling all of this is the Senate is tied 50-50. It's tied. And they can only pass something by getting the vice president to break the tie if they're all together. Um, and that makes it really hard to do big things. And that's all Biden has talked about so far is doing big things. Mara, are they yeah, going to get big my things? My bottom line is that I think the infrastructure bill that will pass is the infrastructure bill that Joe Manchin wants. And that's about it, because I think anything big is going to have, pass, have to pass with 51 Democratic votes. As Byron just explained, Joe Manchin is the arbiter of that. I do think it's possible that tiny little chunks, maybe universal broadband or some, or some of the American Chips Act or things to make us more competitive with China, maybe they can be broken off and passed as small bipartisan packages. But big infrastructure bill, I don't think see the big bipartisan support for that. All right, panel. Thank you. Here's a bit of presidential trivia. Ohio Congressman, later America's 20th president, James A. Garfield, spoke at the nation's first Memorial Day ceremony in 1868. Garfield, a former Civil War general, addressed a crowd of 5,000 at Arlington National Cemetery, saying, if silence is ever golden, it must be beside the graves of 15,000 men whose lives were more significant than speech and whose death was a poem of music of which America can never be sung. That will do it for this week. Uh, you can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Tom, Mara, and Byron, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.